This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. Good to see you all. You were you were greatly missed by somebody. I don't know who, but just kidding. I missed you all, every single one of you, plus or minus one or two. All right, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand so we can get you a Bible. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to get right back into it. I'm super excited about this study, but continuing our series through Philippians The series title through the book is It's All in Your Head because your thinking has a huge impact on your day-to-day life. This is what we've been talking about. This is what we're going to continue to talk about today. So open to Philippians chapter 2. Really quickly before we get started though, um, we did get back from Croatia, obviously. Here we are. It was an incredible trip. I'm sure that the people... I know that the people who were on it were as impacted profoundly as the people that we got to visit and encourage. I know that the people that we went and supported and, and, and held up their hands for a short time were, were blessed. The church in Croatia in Split that uh, my lovely wife and I started um, sends their greetings. They say hello uh, and, and blessings in the name of the Lord. Also, the church plant that we're a part of in Zagreb also sends its hello. They're doing very well also. And then there's another couple that we got to meet with that's planting another church outside of the capital of Zagreb um, who also say hello. You don't know them, but we know them. We have some history with them. And, and good things are happening in Croatia, by God's grace. Thank you, Lord. And I want to encourage you um, to pray about the possibility of going on our trip next year. It's very impactful. You get to learn uh, a ton, and it's also very stretching. So that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Don't not go because you don't want to be stretched, but be open to what the Lord has for you, and you're going to be blessed for sure. All right? Let's get into the Word today, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, and we'll go to him in prayer. Happy Father's Day, Father in heaven who created us, and we should really celebrate Father's Day every day in in the sense that, that you're so good, you're such a good, good Father, and, and you are the perfect example, the perfect role model. You have good things, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from you. And we're just so in awe by you today, God. And We we pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us. We know that it will. We pray that there would be hearts to receive. We pray that there would be ears to hear and that we would apply your word to our lives. We would see that change that takes place in our lives when we apply your word. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would be honored, glorified, and worshipped through this studying of your word today. Also, Lord, we pray that you're honored through the givings of our tithes and offerings. And Father, we thank you for these people who are up here leading us in song, in worship, that we can offer you the fruit of our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember WWJD? (laughs) That was a mixed response. Uh, Some people actually shook their heads. Not like, yes, I remember it, but oh, I remember it. What would Jesus do? Now, it's important to consider what would Jesus do and how it takes us back to the 90s when it was very popular. Um, that's, it's all well and good to consider that. But do you know uh, that before you can do what Jesus would do, listen to this. I don't want to lose you for this. This is important. Before you can do what Jesus would do, you have to think like Jesus thought. 
Our actions are a direct result of our thinking. And when you can think like Jesus thought, then you can do what Jesus did or you can do the things that Jesus did. So I'm going to start a new campaign. It's no longer WWJD. It's WWJT. We've got some bracelets out front. Just kidding. We don't have any bracelets for you. But it is more important when you think, when you consider, you want your life to to have some semblance of of your Savior. You want to do the things that that Jesus would do. Today's lesson in Philippians chapter 2 will help equip you practically to think the way that Jesus thought. So that your mentality, your mindset would be so connected to the way that Jesus thought that your actions would represent that. Amen? Do you want to think the way that Jesus thought? I do. I want to think the way that Jesus thought because I know that the way that Jesus thought affected him and his actions proved his thinking. This morning, we're going to go through Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, and we're going to look at seven different ways of how Jesus thought his process of thinking, his mentality. And I want to challenge you, if you're not typically a note taker, the reason that we have these points is not only so that you can just follow along, but so that you can connect with maybe one or more of these points. So that you can take something away and apply it to your life. Seven ways that Jesus thought that allowed him to be who he was as the Son of God. Let's read our our verses this morning, and then we'll get into it. Chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number one, This is going to set us up for our seven ways that Jesus thought. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? You should think the way that Jesus thought. And then he gives us some of these examples. We're going to break them down, dissect them a little bit, and and have a little insight of, of the thinking that Jesus had while he was before and while he was here. Number one who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Number one, being in the form of God. I I put next to it position. Jesus' position didn't affect him to cause, didn't make him, didn't cause him to make selfish decisions. What was his position? This verse speaks of the pre-existence of Jesus. It speaks of his deity. And how he didn't make decisions based on his own benefit because of his position. Now think about Jesus in heaven. It kind of blows my mind a little bit, you know. The pre-existence of Jesus Christ, considering that he's going to come to earth. He's going to leave and come to earth and and, and give up that position for for a little, just a small amount of time in, in the big blip of things. And that he looked forward to doing that. Now think of our position. How does your position affect the decisions that you make? And do we use our position to get things for ourselves that benefit us? Jesus did not. Number two, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Number two is Jesus was equal with God. What does this speak of? Not so much just his position, but his authority. Another way that this should read or could read for you is is Jesus wouldn't take advantage because of his authority. He had the authority to do it. He he didn't take that authority upon himself. Uh, Specifically, he didn't take it for his own benefit. I'll let you in on a little secret. Don't tell anybody, but I've always wanted to be a secret ninja. 
Since I was a little boy, I wanted to be, you know, a secret ninja that at any point in time, I could tap into my ninja ability and kick anybody's butt that I wanted to, you know? Like you see Conor McGregor walking around like a, like a tough guy in the octagon. You know, Tim Warhol, like he'd jump in there and smack him around a few times just like that. And for justice sake, okay, let's just say for justice sake, you see somebody getting picked on, here I come, bam, bam, wham, done. Imagine the authority that Jesus had and how he restrained that authority what he could have done, what he was capable of. In fact, think with me, read along if you want to, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 and 50 to 54, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? What is Jesus saying? Listen, you heard him. I can summon 12 legions of angels right now. I can do whatever I want. I wipe these guys out. I don't even have to lift my own finger. They're at my disposal. Jesus is speaking and these guys are falling over. Imagine what he's capable of. And what's his response? He says, why did you guys come out here with clubs and, and, and swords? Are you seeking a robber? Was I not with you every day in the temple teaching? Here I am. Here, take me. We know that this person who drew their sword and cut off the high priest's servant is none other than Peter, we see in the Gospel of John. But what I want to know is this. How in the world do you cut somebody's ear off? I don't, I don't think I could cut somebody's ear off if I tried. <laughs> like, let me hold still. Put your head out, please, so I get a... What was Peter trying to do? Exercise some kind of authority over somebody that was taking his Lord into captivity? And who had ultimate, absolute authority? Jesus. Who who has more authority than Jesus to say, I'm submitting myself to this process? We're going to get more into that and what that looks like, but, but Jesus being equal to God speaking of his deity, having all authority. And then we ask ourselves this question, what kind of authority do I have? In fact, this is something that the media drills into your head. If you watch the news or you follow along with with anything going on in our culture right now, the media drills into your head that you have some kind of authority. You are independent. You have rights. This is the way you should be acting. This is what you should be doing. This is how you should be voting And that's fine. I believe to some degree or another that is a God-given authority. God institutes governments. He puts them in place, correct? Yes. I'll answer for you. He does that. But are you put in certain situations where your authority shouldn't be as important to you as your ability to lay down that authority for somebody else's benefit? That's Jesus' thinking. Jesus, again, being in heaven, I can't, really, I can't really wrap my mind around him understanding what was going to happen, looking forward to it, leaving that position for who? For you. I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever looked forward to the next bad season that you're going to go through? Yeah. Man, this is a good season right now. I'm super blessed. I can't wait till some things start going wrong for me, you know? I can't wait till I go through some trials. I can't wait to get fired. I can't wait for the next fight that I'm going to have with my wife. Do you think that way? No, you don't think that way. But Jesus looked forward to the difficulty he was going to go through because it was for your benefit that he was going to go through it. And we can process it the same way in saying, if I'm going to go through difficulty, if I'm going to go through trial in my life in the future and it brings glory to God, then I'm looking forward to my submission to his will so the glory of God could be seen. But that's very foreign to us. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He looking forward to 
the difficulty he was going to go through, laying aside his authority for a moment, submitting himself to God primarily, but giving himself to men. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He, he wasn't going to take advantage of his, his authority or his place, but made himself of no reputation. This speaks of Jesus' selflessness. Do you know, a, a person who has selflessness as a quality is a very, very unique individual. Selflessness, I think, is probably one of the, 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 the least observed, observable characteristics in people these days because we just tend to be, even just humanity, we're so selfish. We're so concerned about how we're going to benefit from things. Selflessness is a true treasure. I know that you guys hear me say this stuff pretty regularly, so I apologize ahead of time, but my wife is one of the most selfless people that I've ever met in my entire life. I'm not kidding. She is. She will do anything for anybody and never complain. I look at her. She's changed my perspective of what it means to be selfless. I think I'm being selfless. I'm actually doing something to benefit myself. <laughs> she's doing something selfless, and it, it takes everything that she has, and she isn't benefited at all. Jesus is that example for us. What kind of thinking should we have? No reputation. We live in a society, we live in a culture, and this isn't just America, this is the whole world, listen, of self-promotion, of, of look at me, this is what I'm doing. We have to put on a facade, we have to put on a show. I, I'm doing counseling with people who, who are falling apart, and every Instagram post they make is how amazing life is. It doesn't line up with what's the reality in their life. Jesus truly, in making himself of no reputation, was selfless. Think about Jesus going around when he walked on the earth, healing people. What did it say many times after he healed, some, he healed somebody, he helped somebody, he touched somebody? What does he do over and over again? He slips away. He doesn't want the recognition. Now, partially that was because it wasn't his time yet. We understand that. But also... It was more about the person receiving something from God than Jesus receiving some kind of accolade or recognition. We see this over and over and over again with Jesus. Number four, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant taking the form of a bondservant. You know what a bondservant is, somebody who's bound to serve. It's a servant. Jesus exemplified serving others instead of serving himself. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve. A servant is the lowest man on the totem pole. He's the one that runs around and has to do everything for everybody else. And he says, my example, hey, I want to show you guys something. It's our last supper. He gets up, puts his robe around his waist, kneels down and starts to wash his disciples' feet. He said, I'm doing this to teach you a lesson. I'm doing this so that you will go and do the same to each other. But then institutionalized religion came along and we have again, how does history repeat itself? You know, I had a history teacher in ninth grade who said, history repeats itself. It was one of the most profound things I ever learned in high school. He said, yeah, over and over again, you see the cycle. What do we have nowadays in institutionalized religion? The phylacteries, the robes, the gold, the diamonds, kiss my hand. There's no submission or service. Jesus was a servant. And if we are his disciples, then we too will be servants. If our mentality is how can others serve me, then the decisions that we make, the things that we do, are not going to look like Jesus Christ. Because he did not come to be served, he came to serve. Taking the form of a bronze servant and coming in the likeness of men. I think this is my favorite one. Number five, 
coming in the likeness of men. I have next to this one identity. Jesus was a master. Listen, Jesus was the master of identifying with people. Whoever it was, he met them right where they were at. He came at them on their level. He ministered to them right. I want to be like that. It would have been so much easier for any of us to go to the woman at the well and be like, you adulterous whore, you sinful woman. I know all about you, your five husbands and the man that you're living with now. What are you even doing here? You know why she had to go to the well by herself? Nobody else wanted to be around her. What does Jesus do? His disciples come. What do they say? What are you talking to that woman for? You shouldn't be talking to her. What did he do? He identified with her. He said, I know all about you. I know that you're thirsty. You've been in multiple relationships. And not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. She was a dog. And Jesus identifies with her. He identifies with the woman caught in adultery, doesn't he? He says, hey, who are your accusers? You guys, he identified with them, with the Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious elite. He said, you guys go ahead. Whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. Nobody cast any stones. You know why? Because Jesus met them on their level. He spoke to the heart. You know, one of the things that I love that I still consider about my testimony and all the things that God has done in my life is, is that God touched my life and, and, the, and, the, and the main way that I saw that happen is he, he bent down, he reached down, and he identified with me. A 16-year-old kid who didn't know anything. I was an idiot. He, 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 he stooped down and he identified with me. He showed me his love. And, and for you and I, if we want to do what Jesus did, what would Jesus do? This is the way that he would think. He would try to come at people or he would come at people on their level. He would identify with them. And each and every single one of us here this morning can come at people on their level and identify with them. And as soon as you start to identify with somebody where they're at and what they're going through, guess what? The door opens. And then you can start sharing the love of God with them. You can minister to them. Because you're thinking like Jesus thought, therefore you can do what Jesus did. He was the master at identifying with people. And for God to identify with man, what did he have to do? He had to become a man. I don't want to be me. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be here right now. I want to go to heaven. It's hard being a man. It's hard being a father. Can I get a witness, fathers? Happy Father's Day. We should have more than one day. Actually, the mother should have more than one day. Let me go to heaven. Life is difficult here. When I talk to people, I'm able to, uh, I, I make a decision every day with every person that I look into their eyes or have some kind of interface or conversation with, I can identify with where they're at. And there's two responses to that being able to identify. I can say, you, you, are, you are worthless garbage. I would never make the life decisions that you've made. And the reason that you're here is because you're a loser. <laughs> Or I can say, you know what? Actually, the truth is I was right where you were at. I went through the same things. I, I had the same struggles. Hey, I still have the same struggles. But you know what? I'm not who I am today if God didn't reach down and identify with me back then. Wouldn't be. And Jesus his thinking was, if, I, if I'm going to impact these people, i got to become one of them. <laughs> Big picture, that's what happened, right? i got to be able to connect with them. And he did. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Number six, Jesus humbled himself. Pretty simple humility. I put a little, a little additional thing on the end there. Not proud, not prideful. If anybody had any um, ability to be proud, I think Jesus maybe. 
beat his chest. Don't you know who I am? Have you ever said that to somebody before? Somebody just said it to me recently. I can't remember who it was. Like, Don't you know who I am? What are you, connected to the mob or something? Nobody even says that anymore. Who? Yeah, who are you? Oh, man, Jesus. He humbled himself. I want to teach you guys a life lesson this morning. So jot this down if you're taking notes. By the way, uh, if you're taking notes, I'm glad because I spent a lot of time on these points for you, okay? So I appreciate you. Here's a life lesson for you. You've got two choices. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. It's always better to humble yourself than to be humbled. Can I get a witness? It's always better to humble yourself than to be humbled. Even Jesus said himself, he said, you can fall on the rock and be broken, or you can let the rock fall on you and be ground to dust. Which would you prefer? (laughs) It's a theme throughout Scripture. You elevate yourself, you, you puff your chest out in pride. What comes after pride? destruction. You humble, you, you, you lift yourself up in pride, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself in the sight of God, if you humble yourself, God says, this is the thinking I want you to have. I want you to walk in humility. And then I'll lift you up. I'll exalt you. And it won't be self-exaltation. It'll be proper, true, in good time exaltation. And it won't be for your benefit. Listen to this. It won't be for your benefit. It'll be for our benefit. <laughs> It'll be for his benefit. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. death. This, is, this is point number seven, and it's... Uh, I would say it's the most important point for us this morning. In fact, this is where we get our title of today's message, Submitted Mind. Each chapter of the book of Philippians that we go through, when we're, when we're talking about it's all in, the, in, in your head, in your, your, your thinking, the, the, the word think, thinking is, is the, the most used word in the book of Philippians. That's what it's about. Yes, a lot of people want to talk about the joy, but you can't have the joy if your thinking isn't in the right place. And that's what he's trying to teach them. Chapter 1 was single mind. Chapter 2 is the submitted mind. It says that he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I want to look at three things here. Number one, obedience. This is something that the, all of the people at the end of the age, when we all stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, there's only going to be two kinds of people, okay? There's going to be sons of obedience and sons of disobedience. It goes all the way back to the garden. People say, why did God have to have to put one tree? Well, we, even if there's one possibility for us to be obedient, we're still going to mess it up. But that was it. We were able to reciprocate God's love back to him by being obedient and listening to him. There's sons of obedience and there's sons of disobedience. Jesus exemplified the son of obedience. He is the contrast to Adam which Paul makes a case for in in other places as well. But he was obedient, number one. Number two, to the point of death. Now that changes things a little bit. Because I'd like to be obedient to a certain point. (laughs) I'll I'll be obedient to this to to this level, this area over here. But when I get to that point, I, I don't know about my obedience anymore. Jesus, one of my favorite, and I probably talk about it too much, but one of my favorite pictures of Jesus is him in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeled down saying, you guys wait over there and pray. He separates himself. He says, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please. He's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out to the Father. If there's any way I don't have to go through with this, that would be awesome right now. But he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. There was a complete submittance 
to the Father's will and through his obedience, you and I are sitting here today. And not just in a building, you and I have direct access to God our creator because of the obedience of the Son. Number one, he was obedient. Number two, to the point of death. Number three, even the death on a cross. It's one thing to die, right? If I'm going to die, I want it to be quick. Yeah? All right. I'll be obedient even to the point of death, but take me quick, you know, in a split second. Jesus, in his obedience, was not only willing to die. Listen, you guys know this already, but it's, it's too much for me. He was willing to be tortured to death. And do you know why Jesus was willing to be tortured to death? So that you could know his father. Happy Father's Day. So that you could know his father, he was willing to be tortured to death. And it was his purpose in coming, even the death on the cross. Number nine, Verse 9, not number 9, number 7. We're done with the numbers. Verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, again, it's too profound. Listen to this. The cost... The cost was nothing to be compared with the reward. That moment in time that Jesus did not want to have to go through, but did anyway, there's nothing compared to the glory of God in obedience. And if that's true for our example in Jesus, then it's absolutely true for our example today, for you and for me. This present day suffering isn't even comparable. You cannot compare the struggles that you're going through to what is going to be the glory of God demonstrated in your life. For eternity, but also for today. I experience the glory of God in my life through my obedience. And sure, we want to buck being obedient sometimes. We want to do our own will. We want to do our own thing. But I guarantee you, take note of this, that as soon as your submittance to God ceases, the abundance of life that you, that you have been experiencing is going to slowly wane as well. You're not going to experience that, that peace, wholeness. Have you ever gone through a difficult season before and you just feel like, yeah, it stinks and it's difficult and it's hard, but you just feel at peace? That's God. That's definitely not you projecting that into yourself. By the way, I also don't care for the summer like Ronnie was talking about. I know people move here because it's warm and I get that. That's fine. I like what our missionary, he, he, uh, Ben came last year and he taught for me one Sunday. I like what Ben said. It actually really encompasses our lives really well about Las Vegas. He said, Tim came and picked me up from the airport, and it seemed like ever since we got out of the airport, the only thing that we were doing is running to hide from the sun. It's like in the airport, okay, go to the truck, get in the truck, drive somewhere, get out. And we're just constantly hiding from the sun. I have determined, I have purposed in my heart to, to speak blessings to the summer this year. So instead of complaining and whining about it being hot, you know, I kind of like being warm. I know, I know. No, it's nice. to it, it gives you a different perspective on things, right? Like it's not cold, it's hot. So I think about things differently. I value things differently, okay? So I want to, I want to, I want to give that to you. Uh, full circle, making the connection back again. Uh, I love God so much that I'm submitted to his will to be here. Can I look at it from that perspective? You know how beautiful it was? We just got back from the Austrian Alps. It's amazing. It's one of the, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. I'm like, God, aren't you calling me here? <laughs> it's summer in Las Vegas. I pulled up the weather. It was 104 here. It's like 72 there in the, in the, you know, on the side of a mountain. We're just hanging out. 
No, you know why? This is why. Because it doesn't matter the geographical location. The best place to be in the world is in God's will. Because whether you're in the lion's den or you're on the top of a mountain or in the, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there, there's that, that peace and understanding that God is with you through it. And you're not just doing things on your own accord. You're not taking things into your own hand. Be submitted, church. Brothers and sisters, stay submitted to the will of God. He loves you so much. Happy Father's Day. He's your father. Don't you think that he has good things for you? Look at we're going to read about it here in a second. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's nothing to be compared with, with what he had to go through for, with, uh, in comparison to the glory of God being demonstrated. Through Jesus, our acknowledgement of him, and even for ourselves experiencing the glory of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, God is working things out in your life. Don't misunderstand. This isn't saying that you have to work for your salvation. There should be some kind of reverence to the work that God did on your behalf. I think this is something that we've lost in our culture. You know, we're like, I'm going to go to church now, and i got to sing this song, and i got to do that thing, and Tim keeps bothering me about this church camping trip. It's so lame. I don't want to go. You don't have to do any of these things. You are privileged to do them. You are privileged to love one another. You are privileged to have a conversation with the person next to you and pray for them after service. Because God identified with your weaknesses. He lowered himself down to your level. He, he ministered. He served you. Have some kind of, have some kind of reverence for the fact that, that we have this access to God. Not even, even to a greater degree than anybody else in history ever had it. Think of the Old Testament. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of the Father that came through Jesus. You have the presence of God living in you? You guys don't really take that into consideration sometimes? Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. No big deal. It's a big deal! And if you don't believe me, I just told you, so now you should believe it. And look at this. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Don't you think that God enjoys blessing you? He does. You know how I know? I'm a dad. I'm a father. I set things up for my kids. I love surprising my kids. I like to scare them for fun, but I also like to surprise them for good. Like this is what I'm going to bless you with as your dad. I was racking my brain trying to think of what to get Oliver for, for his birthday. And I said, I know what I'm going to get Oliver. I'm going to get Oliver uh, a Marshall Golden Knights uh, jersey, sweater technically, right, jersey. And you should have seen that kid's face when he saw that jersey. He wore it for a week straight. <laughs> We're like, dude, you shouldn't wear your jersey to here or there. You can't wear your jersey to school. You, can I wear it under my school uniform? No, you can't wear it under your school uniform. I delight in that. I don't, I don't not look forward to blessing my kids. I have a good purpose and intention for them. You know, I went into his room the other day and, and I look at their room, which is a total nightmare, of course. And I look up, he's got the, the jersey wrapped around his pillow. He sleeps with his jersey. Smart kid. Go, Knights, go. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It causes him pleasure to do good things in your life. And even in the difficulty, even in the trial. I, I make my kids clean up the dog poo. 
It's something that I gladly hand down from my father. You know, my father said, Tim, you clean up the dog poo. And I said to my kids, Grandpa said it's your job to clean up the dog poo. So that's what you, it's a stinky job. It stinks. But you know what it does? It teaches you something. It builds character. They're not going to be the kind of kids when they grow up that don't have chores and responsibilities at a young age. They're going to have some level of work ethic. They're going to have character. And, and it's not pleasant to go through it. It's not pleasant to, to exercise that on a daily basis because dogs do do a lot. But I look back and, and, and I appreciate that. Cover your ears, Dad. I appreciate what I was taught as a young boy into manhood. The intentions are good. God's intentions for you are good. It's not only pleasing to him, but it's also pleasing for us. Verse 14, do all things without complaining. I got a word for somebody here today, okay? Somebody here, I don't know who you are. In fact, I said this in the first service. I'm just going to look up because I have people who accuse me of making eye contact with them when I say certain things. But this word, this word is for you. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Holy Spirit, pause. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He says, when you guys complain and argue, you look like the rest of the world. What are they doing out there? They're complaining and arguing. In fact, the world does it really good. They complain about everything. He says, you guys don't complain. You know what? I'm going to take it up a notch too. Stop arguing. Don't complain or argue that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Here's the contrast, the, the, the perverse and crooked generation. The world. Again, this sanctification, this concept of sanctification, you've been separated from them. Stop acting like them. Start thinking like Jesus, WWJT, so that you can WWJD. Because unless you're WWJT and you're not going to be able to WWJD. You should be impressed that I just said that because it didn't come together in my head the way that I was... that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The calls reiterated, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. Act like it. And it starts with your thinking, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I love that word right there. I love that. Holding fast the word of life. Do you guys know that what you hold in your hands, what I hold, this is the word of life. The closer that I get to the word of life, the more abundant life I have. Guaranteed 100% of the time. The further I get from the word of life, the less I experience abundant life. This is not the word of death. Some people treat the Bible like it's the word of death. Oh, God just wants to tell me what to do. It's not the word of death. It's instruction in righteousness. And it brings life for those who are submitted to it. So that I may rejoice. My labor would be qualified even. I would not run in vain or labor it in vain. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, everything has a purpose in God. Every single thing you go through means, has meaning to God. He knows it. And, he, and Paul says, embrace this with me. If this is what's happening, if this is what we're going through, if this is the reason, this is the purpose, then it's good. 
Oh, to have that perspective, you and I. Oh, to have that thinking changes our perspective, allows us to WWJD. In closing, I want to look back again at our seven points to meditate on them and and, and have a little bit of a takeaway. In adjusting our thinking, WWJT, number one is position. Position, what Jesus had, he did not use position for selfish, selfish ambition. Even though he had position, pre-existed with the Father, he was willing to make decisions that benefited others. Number two, authority. Yeah, maybe you want to respond in certain situations like you have some rights or you have some authority over people. Remember the authority that God laid to the side for justice. And justice was manifested through the murder of his son. How how was justice manifested? Because Jesus paid the penalty. Justice, it was required. And Jesus paid it because he laid aside his authority. Number three, selfless. Kind of self-explanatory. How about exercising selflessness? Number four, servant, serving others. This is a great opportunity to let you guys all know that we need help in kids' ministry. So you want to serve? (laughs) Stinky little beautiful children in the back would love to have you. Jesus said, I did not come to serve, but to be, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Number five, identity. Identity. This is actually a huge one. How do you identify yourself? Look at how Jesus identified with others. How do you identify with others? Number six, humble. Humble. It's just so simple. It's hard. But it's simple. The concept is simple. Humble yourself. Number seven, submitted. You are not going to experience the glory of God on any level until the day that you're willing to be submitted to him. That's the gospel. The gospel is that he loves you. He, he's, God sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins. He died, buried, was raised from the grave to exaltation in heaven so that you could know the Father, so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could have abundant life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, God. We thank you for these seven points, uh, uh, being able to connect or make the connection to Jesus' mentality, Jesus' thinking, where he came from, what he did, where he went, where he's seated today, right now, at your right hand, Father. God, we pray that we would be able to adjust our thinking to line up with his so that we can do the same things that Jesus did. Not because we're forcing ourselves to, but because we have the same mentality that Jesus did. That we would submit ourselves to you. We would allow you to glorify yourself through us. Bless your church, Father. Thank you for every single one of them today. Bless their week. A special blessing on the fathers, God. We love you. Thank you for speaking to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning. Two opportunities. Number one, while everybody's head is bowed and eyes are closed, you have the the wrong thinking. You've been thinking the wrong way, not healthy. And your actions are a direct result of the thinking thought process that you've been going through. And you've identified this morning that that's the case and you don't want to do it anymore. I'm here to pray with you this morning. So with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you recognize that your process of thinking has been unhealthy and you are going to change it today and submit to God. I want you to raise your hand up high so I can pray with you.
It's a simple fix. First is recognition. Let's pray together. Father God, you see these, my brothers and sisters, whose hearts are open before you, and they confess that their thinking has been off track. And that as their thinking has been going in the wrong direction, they are suffering the consequences of it. And we can't do what Jesus would do if we're not willing to think the way that he thought. So Lord, I pray for them this morning that in submission to you, you would help us adjust our thinking to line up more with your sons so that your glory is manifested through our lives to a greater degree. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for answering. There's no other expectation than I have than that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you guys another opportunity. I don't know 100%, but if there's anybody here who has never made that decision to submit yourself to God, I've got to give you the opportunity to do it. And I'll tell you this, it will change your life. This is what it looks like. God's son, Jesus Christ, was crucified on a cross for your sins. Your confession and faith, believing that that actually transpired, that he died, was buried, was resurrected for your sins, opens the door for you to be forgiven. You're repentant of your sins. You're forgiven of your sins. You have reconciliation, right relationship with God, your Father. And then you start to experience who He is. You start to experience His good pleasure towards you. You start to experience abundant life. You start to live in the Word of life. If that's you, you want to make that decision today, I want to pray for you. So if you raise your hand up high so that I can see it, I want to pray for you to receive Jesus as your Savior and that you can start to have abundant life in his name. Anybody at all? Father, I thank you for my brother who has confessed to you that that he needs you dearly that his heart is to submit to you, to receive forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus, and that true repentance would be manifested by his submittance to you. In Jesus' name we pray.